the Compassionate Shepherd. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of June 14, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Deacon Aaron Imey takes us from Sinai to Galilee as he connects the God of Israel as revealed in Exodus with Yeshua proclaiming the kingdom of God in first century Israel. Jesus is always moved with compassion for the scattered, harassed people. He calls us to join him in the great work of proclaiming the good news of hope and making disciples of all nations. Before we begin, we want to remind you that you can now watch our sermons one of two ways. Our Sunday morning communion service is broadcast in its entirety on Facebook at 4 p.m. UK time, 11 a.m. U.S. Eastern time. You can also watch later at facebook.com slash ChristChurchJerusalem slash live. Video of the sermons are posted on YouTube on Tuesdays. Visit youtube.com slash ChristChurchJerusalem. Subscribe to get notifications of new videos. Now, on to the lectionary readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 through to 8. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion for this Sunday is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, starting at verse 35. And we will honor an ancient Christian tradition. Please stand as we hear the good news of what Jesus the Messiah is teaching us. 
Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. When he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Libius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it is worthy, and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy... Let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerant for the people, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, I know we always have an announcement about making sure you turn your cell phones off. I'm just going to keep the timer on, because um, once I've spoken for more than an hour, pretty much if I haven't got to the point by then, it's never going to happen. So this Sunday is, as we said at the beginning, the second Sunday in Pentecost. Um, people never sure what to really call this Time. Do we count it after Pentecost? Do we count it after Trinity Sunday? Um, some people just call it whole, uh, ordinary time, and then the color changes from um, white, which was the festival uh, of Easter, to red for Trinity Sunday and the Holy Spirit, to green, ordinary time. What's so ordinary about it? Well, simply that. In this period of the church calendar, we focus on looking at the Gospels and what Jesus is teaching. So for the next couple of uh, weeks, we will have teachings of the Messiah. 
parables, solid sermons, eternal burn, right? altar calls, all that kind of stuff, happens in ordinary time. Festivals will come a little later. Now, last week, Trinity Sunday, where we pondered the mystery of the unity of God. And if you can't remember, please go to the podcast. David wrestled with the mystery quite well. And the tradition is we always start with a reading from Genesis. We see uh, the, the unity of God in creation, how that unity and that united Godhead reflects within creation itself, every part of it, including man. It was the pinnacle of, of the creation week was when God made man. At the end of every day in Genesis, God looked down and he said, it is good. And then on Tuesday, day three, he looked down on the world and he said it was good twice. wonder why he would say such a thing. And so Tuesday becomes the day of double blessing. It's the day, the third day of the week was the day when you would get married. It was the day when you would make business deals. It was the day of the week you would go buy your lottery tickets because it was good, twice. And it's reflected in the Gospels, John chapter 2. It was the third day of the week and it was a wedding in Cana. But on the sixth day, when God had made man, he looked at everything he had made and he said, this is very good. He had made man in his own image. And God wants to be united with his creation because he himself is a unity. He wanted to be in a relationship with man because he's in a relationship with himself. He wanted to be relational as each part of the Trinity was relational. He wanted man to also be relational. So did he make us by ourselves? No. Who did he give man? Woman, be together, be relational, have a relationship, and I'll come and be with you. And at the end of every day in the cool of the evening, God would sit down and walk and talk with Adam. Tell me about your day, Adam. By the way, I already know, but I really want to hear your voice. There's a part of you that I really want to be close to. And God told us, fill the earth. Subdue it. And I'll come every day and be with you. So in today's readings, following Trinity Sunday, the portion in Exodus, the psalm reminding us that God loves the whole world, and Jesus sending out the disciples all have a a common theme. And that theme is the kingdom of heaven. You've heard us preach about this from the pulpit again and again and again. And we're going to all do it again because it is on the lips of the Messiah. Tells his disciples, go out and preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Because God is a king, which begs the great question, When did God become a king? 
Because obviously, literally in the text, you don't have an enthronement scene. You don't have the long procession, God walks in, the angels are blowing the trumpets, he takes his, his seat and the archbishop of heaven comes along and you know, blesses the Lord and then puts a crown on him and he's a king. So when did God become king? If you ask that question, when did God become a king? A lot of Christians will say, creation. God made the world, he looked down, it was very good. He's king, he's king of the universe, why not? Sure. But for God to be a king, a king needs a kingdom. And in that kingdom, there has to be people. So for God to be a king, he has to have a relationship with people. So you ask a rabbi, hey, Rab, when did uh, God become king? And what will he answer? Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? And we read in the, in the Exodus portion today that God assembled his people and he met with them for the very first time. What was the purpose of the Exodus? I hear you ask. Good question. Is the purpose of the Exodus to get a bunch of Hebrews into the promised land? Answer, no. Because if that was the, the, the purpose to get Israel into the promised land, God would have given Moses better directions, yes? He would have said, you get out of Egypt, you turn left. Once you get to the Mediterranean, you turn right. You can't miss it. Left, right. But instead, you get God taking his people to Mount Sinai. That's why Shavuot, that's why Pentecost becomes so important in the Jewish calendar. In fact, by the time of the New Testament, it's simply called the fest feast. Ha-chag. I don't even say Chag Shavuot anymore, just Chag, the festival. It almost became as big as Passover. Why? Because that's when God revealed himself for the very first time. God took a group of people, slaves. That's what they were. They were not rich. They were not powerful. They were not a mighty nation. And God chose Israel. They are the chosen people. Now, unfortunately, in our uh, Western tradition, we don't like the idea of chosen because that just seems unfair because if there's a chosen people, there must be an unchosen people. And that's not the way the Hebrew mind thinks. Why did God choose anybody? What was the point? The point was to reveal himself. Israel, you will be lights to the nations. I will set you as a banner. and All people will come to me. Because of you, I'm going to choose you to do this precious task. That doesn't mean other people are unchosen. It means that Israel is chosen for a task. They've got a task to do. And that task is to reveal God to the world. So if that's the purpose of the Exodus... Why does it take God nearly three months, 50 days, to reveal himself to Israel? And the hint was in the reading this morning. At the beginning, in Exodus 19, verse 1, we read that Israel camped before the mountain. They camped there. And in Hebrew, the, 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 it seems a little superfluous. 
Why does it say that they camped twice? I mean, this book is the word of God, yes? Yes. So there is nothing superfluous in the text. You don't have words that are not supposed to be there. You don't have, in the beginning, God made the world, yeah. Yeah, not there. Every word is there for a reason. And so the first time we see that Israel camped, it's in the plural form, yachanu. They camped in plural. But straight away, it says yachansham. It, it shrinks the verb, yachanu, they camped, to yachan, he camped. Some translations in English don't even put the second camped, like the NIV. Not saying NIV is a bad version. It's just the translators didn't understand why there were two camps, so they only made one. But the rabbis, when they look through, they say, what is it about this that uh, is so important? For a brief moment in time, Israel reflected the character of God. They were united like he is. They weren't arguing with each other about where they should put their tents or whose camel was going to get more water or how much food was to be allocated to their families. They camped as one. And and that character that reflects God, because God made man in his own image. So we are meant to be a united people, not be divided. That attracted God, and God showed up. God revealed himself. God spoke. God gave his commandments. God blessed them. In Genesis, after God has made man and woman and brought them together united, then God blesses them. He doesn't get Adam and say, you're blessed. He does it when they're they're united. And unity is a powerful characteristic of God reflected in the Trinity. It's a powerful characteristic, or it's supposed to be reflected amongst his people. Even Peter in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 3, wants husbands and wives to be united so that their prayers are not hindered. That's how powerful unity is. It affects your prayer life. It affects the kingdom. It affects the, the, the blessing of God on your family and his presence. Unity attracts the divine. God becomes a king. Israel to be a light to the nations. So they go about that, not always successfully. But they do include it in their prayers. We stood up today and we read Psalm 100. It's a Jewish prayer. And what does it say? Praise the Lord, all the earth. Not just, now imagine when we're praying this, we're praying this in synagogues, we're praying this in the temple, we're not praying this in Rome until we show up. Praise the Lord, not Israel, not the house of Judah. Praise the Lord, all the earth. Because God is a king. And he's a king of all of the world. And this is still reflected to this day in Jewish prayer life, not just in the Psalms. And we're going to pray some of these prayers today when we do the blessings around our Eucharist table, our, 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 our Thanksgiving offering. We will say, blessed are you, the Lord our God. You are the king of the universe. It's a Jewish prayer. They knew, let's be lights 
to the nation. God loves all peoples and he wants them to be united. It's a great prayer, Psalm 100. So let's look at the Messiah as he continues this theme that God is a king and a light to the nations, the whole world, in Matthew. So in Matthew, the beginning of 9, Jesus goes about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, obviously Galilean Jewish context, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. What is this good news? Well, it's got healings involved. Chases away the demons. It's a spirit-empowered kingdom because God, Jesus gets his disciples together and he wants to, to teach. It's got teaching in it, but it's not just a happy little Bible study. There's power involved because it's got, the, got God's presence in it. And when he sees the multitudes, they flock to him. Of course they would. He's healing people. He's teaching them. What is he teaching them? The context is they're under Roman occupation. They are not free. They have their freedoms restricted. They are paying taxes to a foreign king. And what is Jesus not teaching them? He's not preaching sedition, is he? He's not preaching rebellion. Certainly not preaching destruction. When, when the disciples of Jesus go out to teach into the harvest field, what should our message be? Rioting? Violence? No. The opposite. It should reflect the character of God. We should bring healing to a broken world. We should bring light to, to darkness. We should bring hope when people are hopeless. We should bring faith when there is nothing but doubt. Everything about the kingdom of heaven builds things up. It does not destroy. And ha- have a look at our world today. That's all we think. We think that when you're in opposition, that just means you must destroy something. And that is so not God. Brothers and sisters, that is not the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is light, hope, life. And it's attractive. And so we read that uh, when he saw the multitudes, a lot of people, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep who didn't have a shepherd. And this brings up one of my favorite little uh, pictures. Can we throw it up there? Has anyone seen this picture before? This is actually painted, actually, by, um, <laughs> this is going to sound really bad. No, actually, be interesting. By my rabbi. <laughs> okay. I study with a group of uh, uh, rabbis uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays, and one of them is an, is an artist. And he takes a lot of imagery from the text and puts them to print. This is one of his. And... Uh, it's part of, this is Moses, the good shepherd. Now we've all heard of Jesus, the good shepherd, yes? 
yet. But the Jewish people already have a, a story of Moses, the good shepherd. And in this case, here he is bending down, picking up his lamb. And behind him, the bush is catching fire. And you can just see his eyes beginning to turn to notice the, that God has become present. And uh, why is this a very powerful picture for me and also for the text? It's in the Gospels. Whenever you see Jesus talking about the people as sheep, he always says they were sheep because they didn't have a shepherd, they were lost, and he had compassion. Every, every time he was moved with compassion. He had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Great Hebrew word, one of my favorite Hebrew words, chemla in Hebrew. Okay, compassion. And in, in, the, uh, in the Jewish world, you always ask questions. That's how you teach. You look at the text and you don't just start to, to pull stuff out. You start asking questions of the text. And um, the, one of the questions they ask is, uh, why is Moses allowed to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Why is he the one who's allowed to bring them to Mount Sinai? And they look at the character of Moses and they discover that he's a murderer and he's uh, a coward. Because once he's killed his Egyptian, he covers up the body. And when he's discovered, what does our brave hero do? He runs away, right? He doesn't stand up to take his punishment. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, I'm a prince of Egypt. You can't really do anything. I'm above the law. No, he runs. And he stays away for 40 years. He gets married, he has kids, and he becomes quite a successful farmer. Meanwhile, all those people that he supposedly cares about and was defending and getting angry about and killing uh, Egyptians for, what are they doing? They're suffering under slavery. So our hero, rather self-indulgent, no? So when's he ready? When does the hero suddenly become the man of God? And anyone who's seen the movie The Prince of Egypt, where, um, it's a great movie, isn't it? Val Kilmer leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, he's guarding and watching his sheep, Moses is, and one of them gets lost. Great rabbinic tale. And Moses leaves the rest of the flock, his flock, he owns them. And he uh, crawls around the rocks, scuffs his arms and legs and reaches through the, bra the brambles and the briars and scratches his arms and, and legs and he's a bit of a mess. Finally, he meets the lamb who is exhausted and sitting under a rock. And as he bends down to pick him up, God says, Aha! My hero is finally ready because he has compassion for the lost sheep. And then, and only then, does God reveal himself in the burning bush. He says, my hero is ready. Now you can go back because you will have compassion. So if you want to be a hero of God, then you have to have compassion. He sees the people. They have no shepherd. So what's his solution? Does he turn around and say, oh, by the way, I'm the good shepherd, so you all just... just Follow me, all sit down, uh, line up. You tell me your needs and your wants and your diseases and I'll do it all. Bang, bang, bang. Here's a bit of spirit for you, a bit of spirit for you. Nice healing there. He turns around his disciples and he says, the harvest is plenty. There's a lot of work to do. But the laborers are few. So pray 
pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. Hmm. Jesus calls his disciples at the beginning of chapter 10, and you get this, um, this uh, list of disciples, list of 12. And you might notice that in all of the Gospels, they give lists of disciples, and they're always different. They're actually never the same. And um, you can get your little uh, encyclopedia of uh, Christianity, and uh, what they will do is they will measure all the lists together, and they'll start telling you which ones are other other guys, like Thaddeus. He's also known as uh, what is his Libius, and um, they try and square, you know, the circle. No need to do that. So when a disciple. And as David mentioned last week, discipleship is not something the Jewish people invent. Okay, who invents discipleship? It's actually the Greeks. They are the ones that gather students around and start teaching. What Jewish people do is when they look at this model, they say, that's really good. Let's make it better. Okay, and they incorporate it into their context. So by the time the Jewish world has, has uh, taken this idea, in the Second Temple period, discipleship is a well-thought-out Jewish piece of tradition. A disciple is attracted to a teacher, and he joins and follows the teacher around, and he sticks to his rabbi like white on rice. He doesn't just show up for a two-hour Bible study and leave. He doesn't pop in on the Zoom link uh, sit around for a, for a bit of teaching and then go about the rest of his day. No, a disciple will stay with their rabbi. They will watch what they do when they wake up in the morning. How does he pray? What does he eat for breakfast? What clothes does he wear? How does he relate to women? How does he relate to the temple? How does he relate to the temporal authorities and religious leaders? How does he relate to foreigners? How does he relate to the Samaritans? They will also listen to his Bible study, his Torah, and then what they'll do is they'll put that into practice. They'll do their best to dress like him, look like him, walk like him, talk like him, eat like him, pray like him. Lord, teach us to pray. I want to pray just like you. Not like me. I don't want to pray like me. I want to pray like you. At the end of three years, how many Jesuses are there supposed to be? Right, 13. Now, we would say, gosh, all looking like this one guy, that's a cult. <laughs> okay, a little bit, especially if we're all dressed the same. But these, these, and these disciples would pay for it. You would pay the teacher. And so you might show up for a year. You might journey with him, study with him, but after a year, you might need to go back for a year, work a bit more, and then come back. So you find in the Gospels, whenever they record a list of disciples, it's just that particular time. That was the inner 12. Okay, no need to try and work out who's who. It's just part of the, the, the story. But they're doing their best to look like the Messiah. They're doing their best to act like their king. And what does the king say? He says, the harvest is plentiful. Remember, you guys are supposed to be lights to the nations. We're supposed to be uh, sharing the light. It's supposed to be attractive. And the, and the people will come, Jews and Gentiles together. And in that unity, I'm going to show up. So I'm the king. It's going to be my kingdom of heaven. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what's the Jewish question? 
The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So what's the question? What's the good classic Jewish question for anything? Why? The harvest, the laborers are few. Why? What's wrong with the workers? Where are they? What are they doing? Let's have a think. It's not literally in the text, but let's think. The harvest is plentiful. The message we've got is incredible, is it not? It is good news. It is hope. It is light in a dark world. It involves healing. We will chase back demons. The kingdom of heaven is going to expand. The rule and reign of God is never going to stop. So what are we doing? What happened to us? Why are there so few of us? Perhaps we got lazy. There's a rabbi called Rabbi Tarfon who existed around about the same time in the Second Temple period, and he says something which is recorded in the Pikeh Vot. He says something about the same thing. Rabbi Tarfon, the day is short. The work is abundant. The laborers are slothful. The reward is great. And the master is urgent. The daylight is fading. So what happened to us? Well, we got blessed. We got rich. We got powerful. We got free. And then what did we do? We stopped. It's actually the same problem that Moses saw when he was teaching the children of Israel in Deuteronomy just before they went into Israel. He says, you're going to go in and the Lord's going to go with you and you're going to succeed. You will live in houses you didn't build. You will drink wine from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to eat bread from fields you did not sow. And then you will forget God. Your success will lead to your failure. Ooh. We didn't listen to Moses then. Unfortunately, too many of us are not listening to the Messiah now. We are, we have been set free. Every single one of us has our own personal Exodus story. Yes, you do. Of how God reached down into, into our dark world when we were slaves to sin and saved us. We can all tell of some pretty good miracles of what he did along the way as he brought us to revealing himself to us at our own personal Mount Sinai experience. Many of us could probably tell us of what the Holy Spirit has done, what we've done in the name of the Messiah. So why are there so few of us? What happened to us? Let's not be like that. Let's not be like that. Because the Messiah gives us a warning. When we go and share, he's urgent. The message is, is powerful. The message is necessary. There is a, an urgency that's attached to this. The daylight is fading. And for those that do not receive the kingdom of heaven, there's a judgment. That is not something we often like to talk about. But it's here in the text. 
it will be more tolerant for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the cities that have rejected the Messiah. Oof, my gosh. Everyone remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Yep. Anyone know why they were destroyed? It says in um, Ezekiel, they were destroyed because they didn't take care of the widows and the orphans. They forgot the, the, to care for humankind. Brothers and sisters, the king has an incredible message to share with his world. For God so loved the world. We have to be lights to the nations. There is an incredible harvest field. As soon as we walk out this door, as soon as you leave your house, wherever you are, then uh, you have to be lights to the nations. And the, the, the blessing is you don't do this by yourself. We're doing it with each other. We're supposed to be in unity. Unity is not theological, one, two, three, everybody think like me. Please don't think like me. Think like the Messiah. Act like the Messiah. And our unity, which is behavioral, will attract the Spirit of God. And then together we will have a a, a light, a power, uh, a spirit that will chase away the demons, chase away the darkness, cure diseases, and bring the kingdom of heaven to a very dark world. The harvest is plentiful, so let's go together. Unity attracts the divine in our behavior. As Jesus says, wherever you go, whenever there's two or more, notice that, yes, never give up the habit of meeting together. Whenever there are two or more, I will be with you until the end of the age. So let's act like him as disciples. Let's stick to our master, bringing healing, not destruction. We don't break we build up. We don't rip down, we edify. The good news is not death and destruction. The good news is hope and light. So brothers and sisters, get motivated. The daylight is fading and our master is urgent. Amen. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King